praise team this morning. Uh, Brother Shane was out, and so thankful for the praise team being willing to collaboratively step in and lead. And uh, Brother Nick was out this morning, thankful for Brother Logan's willingness to come and uh, lead us in playing the guitar this morning as well. Uh, also, I invite you, as, uh, as we turn our attention to the text this morning, to join me in 1 John chapter 5. This will be the last sermon in 1 John. We are finishing up the book today. We've been here for a little while, uh, but we're finishing that up. So 1 John chapter 5. Uh, as we sang this morning, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, or one day in your parking lot. Whichever it may be, I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. First John chapter 5. Today we're going to see John ending the letter. As we remember, though, this morning that this is a letter. I know we often think of it as a book of the Bible, and that's what we refer to it as. But this is a letter that John the Apostle, who had sat under Jesus' personal ministry, that John wrote to some friends and people that he knew and loved well. And so as you hear the end of this this morning, I want you to hear this as you're hearing a friend speaking to people that he knows and loves, reassuring them. And that's what we're going to see this morning is, is John reassuring them. He finishes this letter by helping to give them confidence, confidence about their salvation, confidence about their eternal life. He, he says here in these few verses, we're going to be in verses 13, where going to read 13 through 21, but we're really spending time looking at verses 13 uh, through 16. And, and just in these verses that we're going to look at today, John speaks of either something that we know, he either says we know or talks about knowing things in verse 13, 15, 18, 19, and 20. So John here is not introducing a bunch of new ideas at the end of the book. He's reminding them and reassuring them. Of many things. So look with me, we'll begin in verse 13, 1 John 5, 13. John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So here John begins, he begins the end by reminding them why he's written the letter in the first place. Why has he written all of these things that he's written, all these things that he talks about? He wrote these things so that those people that have faith in Jesus Christ could know that they have eternal life. He wants them to be confident and assured. He doesn't want them to second guess what's going to happen when they die. He doesn't want them to worry about those things. And so throughout this book, John has given us these these markers in the ground where he said, if you are here, if you do this, then you know you're a Christian, and if you don't, then you know that you're not. And if you do this, and he's over and over and over giving us these things that would reassure us that we are born again, that we have faith in Christ Jesus, that we are saved. And so he said, I've done this because I want you to know. In Mount Zion this morning, or anybody that may be watching with us, I want you to know. I want you, if people ask you what's going to happen when you die, if people ask, are you going to heaven, I hope your answer is never, I hope so. I hope your answer is, yes, with confidence, I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I have eternal life in Christ. And John has given us many ways. If you haven't been with us through the book of 1 John, look back and read these things so that you can be reassured. But I love the word that he uses here when he says 
and verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's, it's a picture word, and I love these picture words that we see in the Scriptures. John uses uh, at least three that we're going to look at today. And it's this, this idea, have any of you ever said before, somebody tells you something happened or something's going to happen, you say, I'd have to see it to believe it. Y'all ever said that before? I'd have to see that to believe it. Well, the word that John uses here for know the literal word, the literal definition of that word is to see with physical eyes. That's what John, that's the word that he, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may see with your own eyes is how you could translate that. So that you could see with your own eyes that you have eternal life. John wants them to know to the point to know as confidently as they had literally seen their own name in the Lamb's book of life. So point one this morning, the gospel gives us great confidence, and it should, brothers and sisters. Knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he has done, knowing that faith gives eternal life should make us very confident. So he's laid it out in this letter, and it's the reason he wrote the letter. There are a lot of things that he teaches, but the overarching idea that John has here is he wants them to know that they know that they know that they have eternal life. So I want you to, to feel the same confidence. No matter what your friends say, no matter what Satan tries to say to you at certain points in your life, no matter what your emotions might tell you at certain points in your life, I want you to remember what Paul said in Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no ands, ifs, buts, maybes. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and you have eternal life. But, but then John continues and, and shows how this confidence, this confidence that the gospel gives us, this confidence that we have that we are God's children and we're born again, how that confidence also flows into our prayer life. So look in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is John teaching us, again, about confidence, about reassurance, about how we should be confident in approaching God. How we should feel reassured whenever we pray. And the word that he uses here, it's another one of these Picture words, the idea of confidence here, and I love this. Uh, if I was smart, I would have titled the sermon after this. But the definition of confident here is cheerful courage. I love that idea. I don't put those two together very often. Cheerful courage. He wants us to have cheerful courage toward God. He wants us to have Cheerful to be excited and joyful and happy and at the same time bold and courageous whenever we come before God. Not timid, not scared, not worried, but happy and excited whenever we talk to God, when we make requests to God. Now, the, the reason that we have confidence in eternal life is because faith promises eternal life. Well, why do we have confidence in prayer? John tells us here that, that we have confidence in prayer because there's something that we can do, and when we do it, we know that whatever we ask, 
that we're going to receive. There's something that we can do that will guarantee is what he's telling us here. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So what is that? What is it that you can do that would guarantee that whatever you're praying you're going to receive? Now, let's be real clear about what John's not saying here. John is not saying that absolutely everything that you ask God for you're going to receive. That's not what he's saying. John is not saying that God is a genie in a bottle. We've talked about that before. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's a God on a throne. So he's not saying that whatever you ask, God will change his will to meet the demands that we have made of him. That's not what he's saying. God's will is set. God's will is, uh, is not moving. It's not changing. It's not going to be changed because we made a request of him. So how is it that I can make a request and know that that request is going to be answered when I pray something that is in accordance with God's will? what he says here this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if he hears us we know that we're going to receive the request that we've made so when we pray and when we ask for something that is in accordance with God's will and that's a strange word for me to say there accordance what I want to say is when we pray and ask for something that is in a line with God's will. I want to say when we pray and ask for something that agrees with God's will. But John, and those, there are words for that. There's a word that John used in, verse, in chapter 1 verse 9, chapter 4 verse 2, chapter 4 verse 3, chapter 4 verse 15 that means to align with or to agree with. But John didn't use that word here. He doesn't say when we ask something that is in line with God's will. No, he said when we ask something that is according to God's will, and it's the other picture word that I want you to see this morning. So you can, you can picture this. The word that he uses here when he says, whenever you ask something that is according to God's will, that word for according to, it literally means for something to go from a high place to a lower place. It's as if something is diffusing from here to, to here. You can watch it, almost like a waterfall. The water is falling from the high place down to the low place. And what John is giving us an idea of here is that, that whenever we ask for things that we have understood from God, you see, whenever we become Christians, God gives us the Holy Spirit. His Spirit living inside of us. And so now there are things that have come from on high that I used to not want, that have now come inside of me and I want now. God takes away my old heart and gives me a new heart that has His law and loves His thing. So there are things that I used to not care about that have now come down from on high to me and now I will pray and ask for these things because I want to see these things take place. The picture is God allowing us to want the things that He wants. And John says here, whenever we pray and ask for the things that God wants, the things that have come down to us through the Spirit, through our new heart, through the study of His Word, when we ask for those things, we can have confidence. We can know that we're going to receive those requests. I love the way Robert Yarbrough and his commentary on this uh, wrote a, a very, very concise thought. He said, prayer is the means that God uses 
to give his people what he wants. I thought that was clever. Prayer is the means that God uses to give his people what he wants. He allows his will to become our will. He causes us to want the things that he wants. And so then when we pray and ask for those things, he gives them to us. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful, beautiful picture. We can have confidence when we pray and when we ask things that are in accordance with God's will, we're going to receive those things. So this brings me cheerful confidence in a couple of different ways. I just wanted to share this. This is personal. This is personal application as I've studied this this week. But this particular text, this particular two verses here, they give me confidence in a couple of different ways. I want to share it with you. The first one is that I'm free to ask anything of God. Right? That We don't see here. We see that we're only going to receive the things they're in accordance with God's will, but we don't see teaching that will be reprimanded if we ask for something that's not according to His will. We just won't receive it. But, but it's amazing to me that God will allow me to talk to Him at any time and to ask anything of Him. That gives me confidence that I can ask Him anything and He's not going to say, Zach, that's a stupid request. I'm going to discipline you for that. That gives me confidence. I can ask anything of God. It gives me confidence, cheerful confidence, that when I pray for something that is part of God's will, I'm going to receive it. That brings me confidence, knowing that when I pray and ask for something that would be good for me and good for God's glory, it's going to happen every single time. But it also gives me cheerful confidence to know that through the answer to my prayers, I can understand God's will. I want to talk about that for just a moment. See, see, we understand here God's will isn't going to change because of what I ask. It's going to remain the same. So if I pray and ask for something that's not part of God's will, it's not going to happen. And then I know that that was not part of God's will. And if I pray and ask Him for something and it happens, then I know that it was part of God's will. So here I am understanding God's will better by the way that God answers my prayers, whether He grants these requests or not. A specific example of this that I had to deal with this past week. I found out that uh, Southern Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky was offering a, uh, an opportunity to, to take part in one of their courses online uh, in a special way that was going to be cheaper than normal. Uh, and it was a Greek course that I haven't taken that was going... I felt like... I felt like it would be good for me as a pastor. I felt like it would be good for me in ministry. I felt like it would be useful for the church. I felt like it would be useful for the glory of God. So I was going to sign up and I was going to take this course. Well, I prayed, Lord, I don't know what this summer is going to hold. I've never lived a summer through COVID-19 before. I have no idea. I, don't, I didn't expect what's happened in the last two months. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next two months. Lord, you know if this is something that I will have time for, or if this is something that would act ultimately be a distraction from my family or ministry. So, Father, here's what I want. I want you to work this out. If you would have, you know if this will be good for me. If it will be good for me, allow me to take this course. Allow these things to line and work out. And if not, then make that clear. Now, to be honest, at the time, there was no reason for me to think that I wasn't going to get in this course and take this course. But I pray this... And then through an unforeseen set of circumstances between myself and the, uh, the department that would have allowed me to get in at Southern Seminary, everything falls through. It all falls through, 
And not only did I not get in the course on time, but they say there's no way that they could possibly make an exception for me to get in the course. Now, you would think that maybe the way that worked out that I might be upset, but I'm not because here's what happened. I prayed, God, I don't know your will for me in this, but I trust it. So, Lord, make it clear. I would like to take this course. If you see fit, Father, allow me to take this course. And through an unforeseen set of circumstances that I just could not have predicted, everything falls through and I don't get in the course. And what did I do? I said, Lord, thank you for protecting me from something that I thought was going to be good for me, but now I realize it's not. Because through the answer to my prayer, I saw God's will. I prayed for something that apparently was not part of his will because I prayed for it and it didn't happen. And John said, if I would have prayed for it, and if it was part of his will, it would have happened. So thank you, Lord. Point two, the gospel gives us great confidence in prayer. Great confidence. Knowing that through Christ that I have direct access to God, knowing that God hears my prayers, knowing that He will answer all of them that are according to His will, knowing that I can see His will through His answer to my prayers. Great, cheerful confidence. Cheerful courage. And He continues. He takes this teaching about prayer even further and gives us a specific example as well in verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, right here we are going, this is one of those times when you might be a little bit frustrated with me Because I'm not going to spend time talking about or speculating about what John doesn't teach here. right? John says that there are two types of sin that he describes here. There is sin that leads to death and there is sin that does not lead to death. The way that he writes this makes it pretty clear to us that the people that were reading this letter knew what he was talking about. But to be honest, we don't know exactly what he's talking about. I've studied and I've looked and I have ideas and I have theories. And if you want to talk to those, come find me after the service. I would love to talk to you at a six-foot distance about those things. But I don't know exactly the distinction that John makes here between sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time chasing that rabbit this morning. What I am going to do is we're going to look at what he does clearly teach here. What does he clearly teach here? He clearly teaches... That we should be confident enough in prayer that if we see another Christian committing a sin, which we've seen in chapter 1 of this book, will happen. If you see another Christian committing a sin, what should you do? You should pray for that brother or for that sister. So what he tells us here. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. We should love them enough that we should pray for them. Again, Robert Yarber writing about this, he quotes Calvin and gives a good quote by Calvin and then adds some commentary himself. Here's the quote by Calvin. John Calvin talking about this. He says, Surely it's an iron hardness not to feel pity when we see souls redeemed by Christ's blood going to ruin. How terrible would it be if you could see another Christian sinning and not care at all about it? And then Yarbrough adds this. 
He says, the one who sees sin is to make request or petition, not point fingers, not turn a blind eye, not initiate gossip, and not bask in a feeling of superiority. I thought, what a great application of what John teaches here. Brothers and sisters, sometimes when we see another Christian committing sin, our first, thing, our first thought is what the world does today. Let me pull out my camera and video this so I can show somebody. Let me call and tell somebody. Let me feel good because so-and-so, who everybody thinks is high and mighty, has now fallen, and I'm better than them. But John says here, that's not, that's not the response we should have when we see another Christian sinning. No, we should be heartbroken. We should pray for them. God, give them life. God, remove them from this sin. God, remove this sin from them. God, help them to overcome this. And we should be confident in doing that because we see that this is part of God's plan, that His children would refrain from sin. We see that it brings God glory whenever His children refrain from sin. And we see that we should pray for things that are in line with God's will. And so John tells us here, if you see another Christian sinning, a sin that doesn't lead to death, and you pray for that Christian, you should be confident because you know what's going to happen. God will give them life. God will restore them and remove them from that sin. Point three, our confidence in prayer should lead us to pray for Christians in sin. That's a specific application of point two. You can make it a sub-point if you want to. But point two, the gospel gives us great confidence in prayer. And a specific application of that is that then when we see other Christians sinning, we are confident. We pray for them. And when we do, God restores them. We can trust that and we can know that. Now, this morning, you look and you say, Wow, Brother Zach has been preaching for however long he's been preaching. And he's gotten from verses 13 to verse 17... And there's still 18, 19, 20, and 21 to go. But there's not. This past Wednesday night, we looked at verse 20 fairly in-depthly. If you would like to see more about verse 20, that, that video is posted uh, on the church Facebook page and website. You can pull that up and watch that video. This Wednesday, we're going to go more in-depth on verses 18 and 19. For time's sake, we're not going to cover those all in-depthly this morning. I do want us to read them together. I'll give you a couple of quick points, but that's all we're going to see of those this morning. Verse 18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. A couple of very quick things and then we'll look at this more Wednesday night. But what do we see here in verses 18 and 21? We see that Christians will not continue to sin and that they will keep themselves from idols. Verse 18, we see that, that in some way, and this will be exciting to look at Wednesday night, but in some way, part of our refrain in, in staying away from sin is, comes from Christ's protection. 
of his children. And then we see in verse 19 that lost people, while lost people are still under Satan's control, that Christians are firmly under God's control and outside of the touch of Satan. We'll look at those things more. But brothers and sisters, John, I think, does a marvelous job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of finishing this letter by giving us confidence and reassurance. He says, if you have faith in Jesus, then you know that you have eternal life as well as if you've seen it with your very own eyes. He says, you should have cheerful courage in prayer because you know that when you pray for the things that are in accordance with God's will, you're going to receive them. He says you should pray for Christians that you see sending because when you pray for them, you know that God is going to give them life. We should have confidence and reassurance because we know that Satan can't touch us because of the power of Christ, the one that has been born of God. Brothers and sisters, we have lots of reasons to be confident because of the gospel. The gospel gives us great confidence. Why? Because we used to be Before we had faith in Christ, we used to be lost and evil and sinful. And not only sinful, but we enjoyed our sin. right? And we were weak and we were hopeless. But now because God, God Almighty, God, the God that's the Lord of the armies, the God that has all the strength that He sent His Son, who wasn't weak and who wasn't unable and who wasn't hopeless. No, He sent His Son who was also Almighty, who lived the perfect life and who did die the perfect death. And so now, when we have faith in Christ, we go from being evil and sinful and weak and hopeless. Now, we've overcome sin. And we're stronger than sin. And we can overcome any temptation because of Christ. Sin can't make us do anything that we don't allow it to do. And now we've overcome death. We used to have to worry about death. It was going to be the end of of the good life here and the beginning of eternal punishment. But now death isn't the end of the good life. No, the good life is the life that's to come. And death is just how we get from here to there, brothers and sisters. Death isn't something to worry about. Christ was resurrected and showed that he's stronger than death. And we know that we have that same strength because of him. And we've overcome hell. There's no worry about Torment and punishment will never taste hell. We'll never see hell. We as Christians don't have to worry about that. Why? Because we're good? Because we deserve all these things? No. Because God is gracious. And through His Son, He has given us all of the good things that we don't deserve. And removed from us all of the terrible things that we do deserve. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian today... You've got a lot of reasons to be confident. You've got a lot of reasons to have reassurance, to feel firm and set and not worried. Don't let your circumstances, don't let Satan, don't let your emotions make you second guess your standing in Christ because it is set and it is firm. Well, you've got a lot of reasons to be thankful. But I also remind you that if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that you have the opportunity to come to Christ only while you live on this earth, that if death comes before you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, that there's no hope, that all hope is gone and it has passed. So it's very important that if you have questions about what it means to have faith in Christ, what it means to uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you have questions about that, come let me talk to you about that. Seek someone else 
If you're on Facebook this morning watching, if you're here with us, you're just here out of curiosity, and you want to know more about this, it's a decision and it's a discussion that you need to have. And I would love to have it with you or point you to someone that would have that discussion with you. But this morning as we end, I just want us to pray. Telling the Lord thank you for how good he is and for what he's done. And then we'll be dismissed. But let's pray together. Lord God, I am so thankful. Lord, I'm thankful for this letter that we've read that John wrote to brothers and sisters that he loved. That he loved enough that he wanted them to know the truth. Lord, he wanted them to know whether they were truly Christians or not. Father, we know that they were, they were dealing with false teachers that John calls antichrists. Lord, and these false teachers had come out of the church and were telling them all sorts of things. And Lord, I'm thankful that you don't leave us to just sort all of that out on our own, but you've given us your word that makes so clear to us what is true and what is not. Father, help us to lean firmly on your word. Lord, help us to believe the truths that we see in it. Help us to be confident because of it, not wavering back and forth, not scared sometimes, but reassured of who we are because of our faith in Christ. Thank you for saving us from all the things that we deserve. And Father, I pray today that if there's anyone that has heard this message that does not have a relationship with you through faith in Jesus, Lord, that they would be willing to take a step to have a discussion, to ask a question, to study your word more. Father, that you and your spirit would call them. Lord, that they would respond to you in faith and that they would be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming this morning. Be careful as you go home. Uh, have a good holiday tomorrow as we remember on Memorial Day those that have given their life for our freedoms at this country. Thank you for coming. I pray that you have a wonderful week.